Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Amen, amen, amen. How y'all doing today? You guys doing good? Doing good, thank you. Listen, I hope you got your Bibles with you today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're continuing our series on prayer, and I'm going to try to cram what turns out to be almost three weeks worth of material <laughs> into one morning. So I can promise you we will not be here more than two hours. Uh, we'll be here less than that, so just know that that's the benchmark. Some of y'all got real nervous. I'm just joking. Not really, but I'm just joking. Okay, listen, why don't you stand to your feet this morning uh, one more time, if you wouldn't mind, and we're going to go through our, our tech. We have two texts this morning. We have two texts. So I want you to go to Luke chapter 18. Go to Luke chapter 18, and if you've got a, a, a paper Bible, put a finger there, and go to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, if you're not able to put a bookmark, then um, just use those quickly, uh, those, those fingers to go really quick in your phone or, or devices. But this morning, I want to I share with you something. I want to lay a little bit of a foundation. So bear with me. We're going to review a Bible story and take the truths out of it. And then I have some stuff I just got to give you to take home. I can't, just get, I can't cover the material today, but I know many people like to take notes. Many people like to do homework through the week and continue their Bible study. I'm going to give you plenty of study material. And if there's time, I have some bonus material for you, if there's time. And I say bonus because I believe it's of the Lord and it's going to bless you. So let's go to Luke 18. This is our first text. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying... There was a certain city, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me and my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night? Through, though he bears long with them, that's important, you can underline that or highlight it if you will, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, with the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Our next text, and we're going to park it here, is in Genesis chapter 32. We're going to talk about the story of Jacob. Genesis 32, 22, and he arose that night, meaning Jacob, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of the, the brook of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. You see a capital M right there. Wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with man, and you have prevailed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the, the, just this heavenly word, Father God. And we just pray one more time that your presence would be with us and your spirit would be with us. And, Father, we just pray that your anointing would be in this room as it already is. Let it flow through these cameras to the hearts and the home. And, Father, I pray that your word, you would just anoint your word, Father God. I pray that, that my heart and my, my words would line up completely with your heart and your words and speak to your people this morning. We would be encouraged and we would be edified and we would be admonished, Father God, to, to go further in you than we ever have. Just continue to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So we're in, I want to talk to you guys. Listen, especially if you're watching online, if, let me just speak to you. This morning, if maybe if you were a little bit honest with yourself and you were a little tired, today is for you. If you were a little frustrated, today is for you. If you were a little burned out, then today is for you. If you're desiring to go deeper in your walk with God, then today is for you. If you've just at your road's end and you've just been pushing hard and going long and maybe weary and maybe tired, then let me tell you, then today is for you. So listen, if you're watching online, share this and, and tag somebody in it that you think would, would benefit from this work. I believe the Lord gave me a word that's going to encourage us and it's going to inspire us. So we've been doing a series on prayer, and I'm so excited about this because let me tell you something. There's nothing like a praying church. I'm all about worship. 
I'm a worship leader. I'm all about worship, and I'm all about the word. I love to study the word, but there's something about prayer. There's something about prayer. See, the devil can contend with a worshiping church a little bit. The devil can contend with a little bit of word. But let me tell you, what is scary to the depths of hell is a church that's not afraid to get on its knees and seek after God because a praying church is an advancing church. A praying church is a victorious church. A praying church is a church that can rattle the cages of hell and set the captives free. Prayer. This is what gets us connected with God. I was reminded as I was thinking about uh, a movie I, you know, when I was a kid. Remember the old Ghostbusters movie? And you remember how they were, there was what, three or four of them? I, and, and I can't remember. I haven't seen those movies since I was a kid. Um, but you, know, you had Egon and um, Winston. was. Uh, the, I can't remember the other guys' names. But you remember the story? They had the belt pack and the plasma ray, and they would go through the town. They would capture the ghost or whatever. Well, I, I remember one of the movies, one of the bad guys at the very end, like the boss, was too much to handle for their individual little plasma beams. It was just too much. And so one of them had the bright idea to, let's cross our beams. How many of y'all remember that old movie? I don't some of y'all might saw. And so they were like, oh no, is this too dangerous? Is this too radical? Is this too, this is too offensive? Is this too much? And, and finally they said, no, that's our only choice. So we gotta cross our beams. And as the movie goes, they crossed their beams and it was just enough to generate enough power to capture the last villain. Can I tell you that that is what I wanna talk to you guys about today? Perhaps the most powerful, perhaps the most awesome tool you have in your tool belt is not only prayer, but the power of persistent prayer. And this is why. Because I believe you have a plasma beam of worship and sometimes that's good enough to get your breakthrough. And sometimes you got a plasma beam of the word and that's good enough to get to. And sometimes you got a plasma beam of good old Christian fellowship. But there comes a point in your life when you've got a devil that's just too big for one only. You've got to cross your beam. So I believe a persistent victorious prayer life is one that has worship in it. One that has the word of God in it. One that has fellowship in it. One that has testimony in it. And we're going to talk about what that means today, persistent prayer, the power of persistent prayer. I was uh, just reminded a little while ago of a game that I used to like to play when I was a kid. I, I remember we had the Atari and then NES came out, the original Nintendo, the best console ever made. I'm sorry. The original Nintendo came out, and I remember we'd play that, then Sega Genesis, then Super NES. And then I actually had a, a TurboGrafx-16. It was a lesser-known console, but I had that. I had a few others. But, you know, I played lots of games, and you win some, you lose some. But there was one game that I kept playing over and over and over, and I could never beat this game. And it was very intriguing to me. Some games I couldn't beat, I just moved on. But this one tormented me for months, if not even years. It was a very difficult game. You only had one life for the entire game. There was no warp zones. There was no one-ups. There was no extra chances. If you died, you went all the way back to level one, stage one, right off the gate. I mean, you didn't, like, start over halfway through. There was, like, no mercy in this game. I think, like, a religious Pharisee made this game. I don't know. So I never did beat this game. And my kids sometimes watch playthrough. You know, they'll watch the guy on YouTube. And if you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a guy on the screen. He's playing these games, and he's, you know, he's going through this playthrough. So I found this game on a playthrough channel. And I found, I was like, oh, let me just see what was up with this game. First of all, can I tell you the most frustrating thing that I noticed with this playthrough video was only 13 minutes long. This game took me months, if not years, to try to finally get 13 minutes. And you know what added injury, insult to injury, was that as I watched this game, I'm remembering that level, that bad guy, that I'm, it's all coming back. Like, I mean, like 25 years, it's all coming back. And then what got me wrong, what got me frustrated was I realized I was at the end of the game and I kept quitting. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I was at the end of the game and didn't even know it and finally gave up. Can I tell you that I think so many of us do that in our prayer life, and we are right there at the edge, right on the precipice of a breakthrough, but if we just don't know better, we're going to back up and we're going to shrink up and we're going to stop when all the time we're just within hand's reach of our victory. Somebody say amen. Persistent prayer, what is it? I looked up the word persistent, it means this. Existing for a long or longer time than usual. Continuously. Somebody say continuously. I love this one. Retained beyond the usual, period. Persistence in our prayer. The first text we opened up was uh, above the widow. Maybe if you have an old Bible, especially old King James, it, it, the heading on that would be importunate widow. It's not a word that we use a whole lot today. Honey, why are you being so importunate today? I had to look up the word. Forgive my grammar ignorance, but I don't. My wife is the one that watches all the old 1800s shows and movies with all the lingo. Like, who even talks that way? 
anyway. So importunate, if you don't know, means this. It means to persist to the level of annoyance, to the level of intrusion. How many know what I'm talking about, when you, especially when your kids are really small? They don't care if you're eating dinner, if you're watching a show, if you're reading a book. They're going, daddy, 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 daddy. They're going to shove that, whatever that is, in your face until you look at that, until you acknowledge them. That's what was happening in, this, in this, this widow. She was going, she was coming to the judge, and she was coming to the judge more than once, more than twice, more than three times. She was coming to the judge into a place where finally she annoyed the judge. That's persistence. Persistence in prayer. We have to understand this. Persistence in prayer is something that we as Christians are always, all of us, have to engage sooner or later. You know, I found out something that, that Greek, ancient Greek philosophy and ancient Hebrew philosophy are very different. Greek philosophy was the one that primarily has influenced Western civilizations even to this day. But how many of us know that the Bible was originally written in Hebrew with Greek and Aramaic, but it is a Hebrew book. So you have to understand the Hebrew way of understanding and the Hebrew way of teaching because I think sometimes we fall short with biblical principle. Let me give you a little bit of a history lesson in about 30 seconds. The Greek way of thinking, when you were to, in the Greek way of philosophy, in order for you to know the facts or to know the subject, all you had to do was read the subject and know the facts. And in their book, you already knew the subject. In the Hebrew way of understanding, you had to read the text, know the facts, but then experience it. And it was only when you experienced it, then were you a voice of authority to share on that. Let me give you an example. The word believe. In the word, in the Bible, it says those, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. How many of us are frustrated with that terminology in America? Because you go to anybody on the road, anybody on the streets, and they believe in Christ. Because, listen, we have the mindset of the ancient Greek philosophy uh, other than of, the, of that, that believe means to simply acknowledge. Yes, I've heard about the Bible. I know a couple of Bible stories. Therefore, I believe in God. No, no, no. That word believe in the original language means to commit your life to. It's a complete different understanding. And I think persistent prayer needs to be more understood because it is a powerful tool that we have. But unfortunately, we don't use it because we just give up. But we're going to talk about not giving up. There's a story of two frogs that were thrown into a bucket of milk. And the, the story goes that the, immediately the frogs begin to jump out. And they were just jumping. And the story says one frog just saw that it was useless and he just got tired, so he quit jumping and he sank to the bottom and eventually died. Well, the other frog was a little more determined and he kept jumping and he kept jumping and he kept jumping. He didn't get any higher. He knew he wasn't going to get out, but there was just something deep inside of him that just said, I need to keep going, I need to keep going. Well, the story goes that as the frog was flapping the milk and as he was stirring the bucket, he began to churn some of the milk into butter. And the surface of the bucket became a little thin layer of butter. And it was just hard enough for that little frog on his last jump to catch the butter and jump out of the bucket. That's how persistence in prayer is for us if we just stick with it and as we just keep going with it. Don't let, first thing I want to talk about is perspective in our persistent prayer. Don't let our immaturity, our, our, our humanity distort our view of what's really going on. Jack Hayford, if you're not familiar with him, he's a general editor of the Spirit-Filled Bible, the Spirit-Filled Bible Studies, and he uh, does commentaries. He tells a story in one of his commentaries about uh, climbing a mountain with his dad. He was five years old. And he went to this big mountain, and he said he climbed for most of the day, and it was steep, and they were working, and they were sweating, and they were climbing, and they finally came to a place, and they stopped, and they had lunch, and then finally they went back down. And in his mind, he's thinking, yes, I climbed a mountain. I'm victorious at five years old. But he said, it wasn't until I got to the bottom of the mountain that I looked up to realize we were nowhere near the top. We just hit a plateau. And I thought that is very fascinating to me because how many times of us, as I said a few times already this morning, I'm trying to lay a foundation. How many times have we gotten to that plateau and just given up thinking we reached the top? Thinking that, that it's no good and nothing's ever going to happen. They ain't never going to get saved. I'm never going to get healed. I'm never going to get delivered. This ministry is never going to grow. This business is never going to grow. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, whatever you're pursuing in prayer, how many times have we got to that plateau and we just give up? Let's keep climbing the mountain. So listen, I want to put a little balance in doctrine. I've got a heart for doctrine and theology, so I, I, I want to throw this out there. there. There's a doctrine floating around in church a long time ago, and it may still be surfacing up, is that if you pray for something more than once, then you're weak in faith. Uh, you're, you're, you're full of unbelief. And let me tell you, I personally have known people that have been... Uh, 
injured and even died because they refused to pray again or they refused to, to take medication or they, you know, people were deceived and people were hurt. When th- that, that is a false doctrine, okay? Listen, it is okay to pray more than once. In fact, we're told in Scripture, it, 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 what I'm talking about today, the persistent widow, we know the Scripture, ask and seek and knock, and it will be, we all know that. So listen, but on the other hand of that, this isn't a magic formula to move the hand of God. It's not like we're calling heaven and we get that automated number, pray three times for healing, pray five times for breakthrough, pray ten times for your unsaved loved one. Beep. That's not how it works either, okay? So God's not a genie in a lamp waiting for us to just give him our commands and then fold our arms and let God do his thing. God will never do anything that you and I can do. He requires us to do it. When the early church was praying for Peter to break out of prison, the angel woke him up and said, put your sandals on, we're going to leave. The angel didn't get down on his knees and put the sandals on Peter's feet. Sometimes we're waiting on God to just do everything for us, and then we just step in and take all the credit. We ain't going to say it like that, but that's what we think. But God wants us to do stuff. Persistent prayer. Let me, let me give you some examples. We see prayers being answered immediately during Jesus' ministry. He healed, and, he healed and delivered people on the spot many times. We see the answer being no to Paul when he prayed three times for the stone to be removed. The answer was no. James tells us in chapter 4, you ask and you do not get because you ask amiss because your heart is full of the world. That's James. Let's do a life group on James next time. Hebrews 11 says these great, these great patriarchs of the faith all died without receiving the promise but they were never doubtful of their eternal home. I love that chapter because it says they never were mindful of where they came from. They're, they were on a journey, and their home was in heaven. Children of Israel prayed for 400 years, and then finally Moses came and delivered them. Let me tell you something. God always answers prayers. He answers yes. He answers no. A lot of times he answers wait. Wait. We think if it's not yes right now, we go to our prayer closet and we say, Lord, I really want to do, I really want to get in a relationship with so-and-so. I really want to buy this house. I really want to do this, whatever, and I'm, give me an answer. And we just wait. And after about five seconds, okay, uh, you know, then, uh, all right, God, you always say no to me. You never work out for me. You never do my, and then all of a sudden all this doubt comes in, all this bitterness comes in, the enemy comes in, and we just haven't given God time to do his thing. Amen? Let me give you some examples of dealing with, because... We'll talk about more about this later, but there's some examples of persistent prayer. Jacob wrestled with God. We're getting ready to turn our attention back to that text in just a moment. So if you haven't, if you've closed your app or closed your Bible, you might want to keep that open. But Jacob wrestled with God. Sometimes our prayer life, we're wrestling with God. The woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years, we know the story. She came to Jesus and she had to press through the crowd in order to touch the hem of his garment. Sometimes you're going to have to contend with people in your prayer life that are trying to put you down, trying to discourage you, trying to put you down for praying. What are you praying for? What do you see? God for. This ain't never going to happen. And before we know it, that doubt gets into our mind and unbelief. Daniel's prayers were hindered due to spiritual warfare. In Daniel chapter 10, for 21 days, had nothing to do with Daniel, had nothing to do with anything he was doing wrong or anything like that. His prayers were being hindered. The blind man in Bethsaida in Mark chapter 8. This story has always fascinated me. This is the story that Jesus healed the blind man. And you remember the story. He said, how do you see? I see men as trees. So he was halfway healed. Jesus took him out of the city prayed for him again, and he received his sight. And Jesus told him, do not go back to that town and do not make friends with that town. There was something toxic in that town. Let me tell you something. Having persistence in your prayer, sometimes you got to contend with your culture. Sometimes you got to contend with the environment. Sometimes you got to contend with everybody else around you that's toxic and cantankerous, and before you know it, it's going to quench the power of God in your life. Think about it. The Son of God, the one who walked on the water, the one that spoke life into Genesis, could not heal this man because the whole town was full of the devil. Think about that, church. These are different reasons to have persistence in our prayer. So let me just tell you, if you are currently travailing in prayer and waiting on a promise, you're on good company. Let me give you this quote. I've used this quote so many times because I believe it's true. Before every resurrection morning, there is a Gethsemane night. Let that sink in. We want to celebrate and we want to dance and we, got, we want to sing and we want to shout the Sunday morning, but there's a Friday night that you have to go through. And we're going to talk about that. In Jacob's story, chapter 32, it says two things. It says the first thing, it says that Jacob went at night. He left his family 
and he went over to a certain place, and the Bible says that he was left alone. I circled that in my Bible. He was left alone at night. Let's talk about these night seasons. Have you been in these night seasons, these seasons that are dark, these seasons that are lonely? You could be in a room full of people but still feel alone. These seasons where you feel spiritually dry, when your prayers feel like they're bouncing off the wall. You read the Bible and you might as well read the TV guide. You're not getting anything out of it. The things of the Lord don't excite you anymore. The things, you, you, you can't explain it, but there's just some darkness going on in your life. How many know what I'm talking about? Those seasons when your family just seems to run away from you. Your friends seem to betray you. People that you thought you could count on just seem to leave you hanging. And God feels like he's a thousand miles away. These are the night seasons where our faith is tested. There's a scripture that we often use here. Pastors use it. I've used it. It says in Psalms that, uh, uh, that the eyelids of God test the heart of his man. Let me tell you something. All my years of schooling and, and doing all tests, I've never had a teacher come and help me with a test. They usually sit behind their desk and they're completely silent, aren't they? They're completely silent during testing time. That's these night seasons. Let me tell you something. Nobody likes them. Nobody looks forward to them. I don't put them in my phone. Hey, reminder, I'm going to have a night season. It's going to last 16 weeks beginning February 2nd. Boop. Lock that in. I can't wait for that. We don't like him, but let me tell you something. If you want more of God in your life, if you want to go further in the things of God, if you want to be more impactful for the kingdom of God, if you want to just do things greater on a greater level for God, you must go through the night seasons. You must learn how to go through these night seasons when things are dark and things are lonely and things are dry. Jesus told a story about a seed. He said, as long as this seed remains alone by itself here in my hand, I'm adding here in my hand just to bring some context. It, rem it does nothing. It produces nothing. Though you could lay in this little packet for 16 years and end up on a clearance rack at Ollie's. And you plant it and wonder why it doesn't sprout. <laughs> okay, I'm not bitter. I haven't done that. But if this seed is grabbed by a planter and he puts a hole in the ground, puts a seed and he buries it, this is what happens. The seed goes into a dark, lonely place all by itself. There's nobody else around. But if the seed can withstand the pressures of the soil, if it can withstand the darkness of the soil, y'all ain't giving me no help in this church. If the seed can withstand the pressures and the darkness and the loneliness, what happens over a little bit of time, the germination process begins, and all of a sudden that little seed just breaks open. And a little green spout comes out, and it goes up an inch and a two inch, and before you know it, it sprouts through the surface and becomes a big tree, and it, would, it would reaches its full potential. Or it becomes a beautiful flower, it reaches its full potential. So are you and I in the night seasons if we don't give up. Listen, St. John of the Cross, a 16th century monk, wrote this in the book called The Dark Night of the Soul. God perceives the imperfections within us, and because of his love for us, he urges us to grow up. His love is not content to leave us in our weakness, and for this reason, he takes us into a dark night. He weans us from all of the pleasures by giving us dry times and inward darkness. No soul will grow deep in the spiritual life unless he works passively in the soul by the means of a dark night. I believe the Lord would want us to get to a place where if we truly understand the power of a dark night, if we truly understood the meaning of going through these trials and these tribulations, that we would look forward to them in some kind of way because we know that God is working in us, whether it be for us to pursue him because the Bible tells us if we endure chastening, then God loves us as a, excuse me, as a son and we're not illegitimate. Those dark seasons. The next thing I find, I find very fascinating in this story is that Jacob crossed the brook of Jabbok. I looked up the word, maybe you don't know, maybe you know. The word Jabbok literally means to empty itself. So not only was he in a place of dark night loneliness, he also learned how to empty himself. He emptied himself this little brook was a tributary of the River Jordan. We know in Scripture, Jordan always re represents new birth. It represents the new life. We know that John was baptizing in the Jordan. We know that Elisha crossed the Jordan when he entered his ministry. Many, many, many times over, Jordan is referenced in here, and it's always a crossing over. It's always a improving. It's always a type and shadow of being born again, of, of entering into Christian. So this tells me this has to do with our Christian faith. The word literally means to empty itself. Let me ask you a question, church. Have you been emptied? 
You see, we are vessels and we are created to carry the character of God. We are created to carry the Holy Spirit. The Bible says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We were created to carry the anointing of God. We are vessels. But let me tell you, church, in order for us to be full of God, we have to be empty first. We have to be empty of our flesh first. We can't come to God and say, God, fill me up when we're already full to the brim with our negativity and full to the brim of our flesh. The, let me tell you something. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever say he will cohabitate with sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God will cohabitate with the flesh. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God will cohabitate with those of, when we fail to recognize things in our life we have to take care of. We come to God and we say, God, I want more of you. God, I want you to fill me up. And God is saying, I can't. You're already full of the wrong stuff. Have you been emptied? Have you come to that place where you've emptied yourself of the flesh, as I was saying a few moments ago? Have you come to the place when you are emptied of the world? First John, he says it like this. He says, if you say you love God, but you love the world, you deceive yourself and the love of the Father is not even in you. I didn't write that. John did. James said, if you say you love the same, he said it the same thing, but he said it differently. Church, when did we forget about being separate from the world? When did we think it was okay to just see our list of things we can do and still be a Christian? Why are we trying to see the outer limits of how far away from God we can get and still make heaven instead of trying to find the inner limits by saying, how close to God can I get without being taken up like Enoch was? How close to God can I get without being taken up like Elijah? How close to God can I get? No more of this. What can can I do and still be saved? No, no, no. What can I do and pursue the presence of God? What can I do to be more like Christ? We've lost that in our churches. We've lost that. We have to be emptied. I love Isaiah chapter 40, 31, very familiar scripture. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Highlight that word renew. Circle that word renew. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew. You know what that tells me? That tells me these people that are getting ready to be mounted up with wings as eagle and walk, they're getting, they're, guess what? They're empty. In order for them to be renewed, they first have to be old. In order for them to be renewed, they first have to be empty. Are you with me? In order for them to be renewed and restored and sustained, they first have to be empty. And it's going to keep us going here in a minute. After Jesus was tempted and after he fasted, then the Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit. The Bible says that John wandered in the wilderness literally until the day of his revealing to the people. And I got I to keep going. Let me throw this quote at you next here that says, The blessing is worth the wrestling. Now, I know that it looks like a cat poster, and it looks kind of, uh, I, I get that. But there's some truth in that. The wrestling, the blessing is worth the wrestling. The next thing we see here in this passage is that Jacob wrestled with God. What does that word wrestling mean? It means to contend, to strive. You know what I'm talking about, to push, to pull. It means to wrestle. In other words, work. Everybody say work. Why don't you drop that in the chat at home if you're watching. Work. Nobody likes to do it, but everybody's got to do it. I'm just, going to leave that, I'm just going to leave that right there. We used to have a saying in the church about going to the altar and tarrying until your breakthrough comes. I can remember growing up in church, we had church 18 times a week. I've, I've, I've talked about that often. I can remember being at church late in the night on Sunday night because so-and-so was up at the altar tarrying for the Holy Spirit. I remember those days. I remember those days when people would be up at the altar tarrying because they were full of a demon and my dad was casting it out. I remember those days when they asked the children to go downstairs and there were wrestling, you heard noise upstairs, wrestling around, people getting delivered. I remember that. I remember the nights when people would come to the church and they would tarry because they didn't care about anything else. They didn't care about the status of their social media or anything else. They just knew they were desperate and they were broken and they were dry and they needed to wrestle with God and they needed to get their breakthrough until it came. But they knew they were like, Jacob, I'm not getting up from here, Lord, until you bless me. God bless two of you. Amen. I remember we used to have a saying, we say grab the horns of the altar. Now, when I was a kid, I never understood that. I thought like, okay, my bike has handlebars. What does that mean? Until someone I was later in life told me that in the Old Testament tabernacle, the altar literally had horns on it. These were, these were basically little posts that when they put the sacrifice on the altar, they had to tie it down so it wouldn't move. 
We don't have one of those in the back room. Don't worry about that. But what I'm saying is that God wants us to grab the horns of the altar in our hearts and be so tenacious after him and not give up. My dad always said this, a five-second prayer is just fine if you're going over a cliff. But if you're not, get on your knees and seek God until something happens. I know that's old school, and I know that might push us a little bit, but I think sometimes we need just a little bit of old school, like Captain America said. Y'all know that movie I'm talking about. They're in the back of that plane, and he goes, isn't it a little old-fashioned? And, and I think it was Tony Stark said, I think this world needs a little more old-fashioned. If I were to be honest with you, I think right now the church needs just a little bit more old-fashioned. Now, I'm not going to sound like the get-off-the-lawn guy. I'm not trying to be that way. I'm, I'm thankful for what God has brought us as a church. But let me tell you something. Let's not be careful. Every time the children of Israel advanced, God told Moses and, and Aaron to take, and, and Joshua, take some stones and make a pillar to remember what God did for you. And the Bible says they didn't do that, and then there became a generation that came and did not know God. If we're not careful, church, we're going to lose some of these things. And one of these I think we've lost is our persistence in prayer, our diligence in prayer. Listen, I don't want to get to heaven to find out if I had just prayed one more time, I would have got a blessing. I don't want to get to heaven and find out if I just fasted one more day, then my breakthrough would have come. I don't want to get to heaven to find out if I just gave one more time, then I would have made a difference. I don't want to get to heaven to find out if I had just reached out one more time, then my unsaved loved one would have been saved. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel today. But can I tell you something? There's hope and there's good news. Because if you are like Jacob, when you go through the night times and you go through the alone seasons and you learn how to deal with that, and then you start contending with God and you're wrestling and you're prevailing in prayer and you learn how to contend that, can I give you some encouragement today that though the night is long and though the night is dark, the Bible says that joy comes in the morning and as Jacob's story said, Jacob looked up and the sun was rising and the angel said, all right, we've done this long enough. What do you want? And he said, I want to be blessed. And he said, let me go because the sun is coming. And Jacob said, not until you bless me. And finally, when sunrise came, the blessing came. And can I encourage you, church, if you keep praying, if you keep fasting, if you keep pursuing God, if you keep going after him, if you keep putting standards in your life to honor God, God will honor you, God will bless you, and God will meet what you're asking in that time. And let me tell you something, the blessing will change you forever. The Bible says that when Jacob, his hip was touched, and the Bible says that his t he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Let me tell you something, when you've had an encounter with God, be ready. It will change your life. When you've had a true encounter with God, it will change your life. Even some fellow Christians may not want to come around you because you're just a little too fanatical. Be ready. But can I tell you, it's worth it. A couple of years ago, before we made the move, I was in my office in the basement that flooded under the nursery across the aisle away from the women's bathroom, which was very awkward. <laughs> so before service, I had to make sure if I'm sitting at my desk getting ready for service, I got to shut the door. I'm like, hey, what are you doing in there? <laughs> I'm so grateful for this building. I'd go out in February just to thaw out. Couldn't turn the heat on in those days. Had a little heater under my desk. Oh, man. Anyway, let me get back. I was in that office one day, it was praying, and I had the light off, and I was praying, seeking God. And I'm just in there, and all of a sudden, as I'm praying and worshiping, I just all of a sudden smell this aroma, this beautiful aroma. And I forgot when I first got into the, uh, into the office, someone gave me a, um, a, a, a wonderful little uh, warmer that, you know, you know what I'm talking about, um, uh, a Scentsy warmer. And you put the wax in it, and you turn it on, and it melts. And I, I my, as... And I have one in this office, and, and, and I'm so grateful for that. As I usually do, I just turn it on, don't think much of it. And I, when I smelled this aroma, I thought, where's that coming from? It's not from the nursery. It's not from the restroom. All of a sudden, I looked, and that, that I forgot I turned my lamp on. In the center of that hardened wax, there was one little bubble that went, bloop, and it was melted. And the Lord told me in that moment, I don't want to sound flaky or anything like that, but the Lord showed me in that moment, those are the prayers of those that persist after him. They are a sweet aroma to him because even though that wax was hard, even though it sat in that ice cold room, over time when that fire was lit and the fire never went out, all of a sudden a beautiful fragrance came out. All of a sudden a beautiful smell came out. All of a sudden a beautiful reaction came out and it was pleasing to me. Can I tell you, if you don't give up, then your life will be a pleasing saving. A wonderful scent to the heart of our Father God if you just don't give up. Let those fires go. And I love this at the end of that passage in verse 29. We, I don't think we read it. Before the, he lets the angel go, he asks the angel, what is your name? 
See, can I tell you that when you, have, when you have had an encounter with God, you're no longer focused on what you asked for? That whole scripture I referenced earlier, ask, seek, and knock, we understand that he wasn't talking about stuff. If you read three verses later, four verses later, he says, and those that ask for the Holy Spirit, my Father will give him. See, sometimes we miss so much stuff. Remember when the Peter and the disciples are always doing this, cutting off people's ears? Lord, are you going to overtake Rome right now? No. Feed the people with the fishes and the loaves. Remember those stories? We do the same thing right now. We do the very same thing right now. But my heart is to be like Jacob. He no longer asked for a blessing. He said, Lord, what is your name? That's where I want to be. Lord, it's not that, yes, I'm praying for these things and I'm striving for these things. I've got hopes and I've got dreams that haven't come true yet. And I've got visions I've written down on my board and I've done all this stuff, whatever the case may be. But can I tell you, there comes a place in God when we just need to get on our knees to seek God for who he is, not just what he can do. I know, I know that sounds simple. I know that sounds basic. But sometimes if we can't learn the basics of reading, then we can't write our own novel. Young musicians come up to me all the time, and they want to be able to play, and they want to do this stuff, and they, and they always ask me, how do I get started? And I say this, learn your scales. It's going to be the worst, most frustrating thing Karen McCaslin ever taught me. God bless you, Miss McCaslin, if you happen to be watching this. But I hated learning my scales, but I wanted to be able to advance. And, I, and so finally I met this one street player who could play everything amazingly, met up with him. I said, man, teach me some stuff. He's like, you know your scales? He's like, yeah, I got one in the bathroom. Now show me how to, how to play that. He said, look, young man, you got to learn your scales. And I saw how good he played. I said, all right, I got to learn my scales. And can I tell you something? Later years down the road, if I hadn't learned my scales, I've been in situations, especially in the revival days, Services were 14 hours long, and everybody and their brother grabbed a mic, and we're singing, and I'd have to transpose. with. A, we didn't have digital stuff. We had old books that were two, 40 years old, old, and you couldn't transpose because they played in D flat, and you had to play it in G major. And I'm like, okay, I had to learn a lot of skills. It all came from, I'm getting off a rabbit trail. But I, I, what I'm saying is, getting back to Jacob, Jacob said, it's not about my miracle anymore. It's about what is your name. Remember the song we used to sing, I want to know you? I want to see your face. I was singing that this week. I want to know you more. I want to see your face. I want to feel your touch. I want to sense your presence. Are you there yet, church? Have you been there and maybe not there anymore? Let me give you some homework. I don't have time to expound on this, and I got one final thought. I'm going to think I'm going to make it to the bonus material, if you all hang with me just for a minute. We're going to put this on the screen all at once. This, listen, persistent prayer accomplishes the following in our lives. Number one, it tests and strengthens our faith in James 1, 2 through 7. Prayer, look at it like this. Persistent prayer is kind of like a proving ground. You know the automotive factories and the plants, they all have these. They spend years designing these vehicles, millions of dollars designing these vehicles, and before they send it to production, they just make a small handful of them, and they take them to a place called the proving grounds, and they race them, and they jerk them, and they ram them, and they drive these things way harder than any of us ever will, and they document its failures, and they document its successes. Then they go back to the engineering booth, spend another couple of years revamping what failed before they release it to the public, and that's what God does with us because he's got great things for us, and sometimes we just can't handle it yet. Sometimes the reason why God hasn't answered us with our full destiny is because we haven't had, we can't handle it yet. We haven't done the preparation for it yet because we pray and we go to our prayer closet for five seconds and then we're done. That didn't work. I'm done. Number two, it produces godly character, Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. Number three, it builds spiritual endurance and spiritual stamina, Luke 1 through 80. I remember playing some video games, some of the superhero video games, in case you're unfamiliar with those. You know, you have skill. You have, you have these bars. How many know what I'm talking about? Or the, like the strength of it? Skill is like all the way. You know what drove me nuts? Because stamina was one of those. Some of these characters had skill, like, like extra. They had their best power, but they had no stamina. They get hit by one bad guy, and they're dead. I never played those guys. We need to make sure that we've got strong spiritual stamina. Luke 1.80. Number four, it humbles us before God. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Number five, it teaches us obedience. Hebrews 5.8 even says Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now I'm going to give you a couple more things. Ready? These are things to remember. I'm going to call it keys to victory through persistent prayer. These are things I want you to remember. These are things that, that hopefully you can write in your Bible because I grew up in church, and if I would be very honest with you, our churches haven't always done the best job of telling people how to do stuff. We tell them what they should do. You got to get right with God. You got to do that. But we don't tell them how they can do that when they go home. And they're not in the church building. And I have notes in one of my Bibles that back from the late 90s. 
of things like this. And so I'm hoping to give you some things that I've learned over the years. Ready? When you're, when you're in persistent prayer, these are the things to remember. Number one, God is sovereign and has an eternal timetable. Isaiah 55, 9. Now there are those that struggle with that. Those that are intellectual, those struggle with that because they think that's a cop-out for God to not do what you ask him. No. We got to understand we are inferior to God. And I know for some of us that's really hard to admit. Our intellect is inferior to God. It just is. No matter how smart we get, no matter what our IQ is, our intellect is inferior to God's. Our reasoning is inferior to God's. We need to understand that. Number two, all I got to do is, I had a note to say, you ever have a teenager? You know exactly what I'm talking about. My mom had a magnet on her fridge that said, kids, move out now while you know everything. Because isn't that how it is? You got a kid that's half your age, maybe even two and a half, more than half your age, and they're going to look at you and tell you how you don't know nothing. Boy, how did I exist until you came? We do the same thing with God. God, if you just want, he's like, I ain't got to do nothing. That's our, we need to understand that. Amen? All right, let me keep going. Number two, remove any sin in your life. Psalm 66, 18. Number three, align yourself with his will. Pastor Eddie preached that on week one, James chapter four. That's powerful, by the way. James chapter four. I'm giving you these references because I'm hoping you'll study these this week and maybe for weeks to come. Number four, remember spiritual warfare is going on. I mentioned it in Daniel chapter 10, Ephesians chapter six. Number five, pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. We've been talking every week, Pastor Eddie and I, how do we get back in the altars? We're missing the altars. We're missing the flow of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna get it. It's coming. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit's not limited by social distancing. The Trinity's not in heaven socially distancing. The Holy Spirit's not wearing a mask. St. Peter doesn't have sanitizer at the gates of heaven. Come on, let me tell you, heaven is not hampered by our conditions. And so I think sometimes we think he is. God will fill me when the vaccines come out. People... He can feel you anywhere, anytime. I gotta keep going. Number six, let me tell you this. People will try to discourage you. But let me give you these references. I'm gonna blow through these. I'm gonna give you some, I'm gonna pump you up, okay? In Revelations 2, 7, he says, to him who overcomes, I will give him the tree of life. Revelations 2, 11, he who has an ear, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Revelations 2, 17, to him who overcomes, I will give him hidden manna to eat and a new name. Revelation 2, 26, he who overcomes and keeps my work will have power over the nations. Hebrews 3, 5 says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Hebrews 3, 12 says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Hebrew, I'm sorry, Revelations 3, 21. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit on my throne. In Revelations 21, 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. All things. Now, we're getting ready to close, but I want to share with you the bonus material. i got just a few minutes. Uh, the worship team will come here in, in just a minute. Matter of fact, worship team, why don't you go ahead and come. Make your way on up here. That way I know we get us out of here. But I believe, can I, can I give you something that the Lord gave me a couple of weeks ago? that I believe is prophetic because it's, I know it's one thing to talk about the widow. It's one thing to talk about Jacob, but I want to break it down to what I believe is a prophetic season right now. Go home and read this story later, Luke chapter 5. I've been eating out of this story for a long time now, just here and there, coming back to it, visiting it, thinking, meditating on it. This story has been just, God has really been speaking to me in this story. And I want to give something to you, River of Life. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling his disciples. And it says, it says this. It says that after the fishermen toiled all night, they were hanging their nets to dry. And Jesus came to them and he said, can I borrow your boat? You know the story. He got out of the boat. He began to speak to the multitudes. And then, um, then the disciples were called and they had the great hall. Let me break that down just a little bit. You can stand to your feet. We're going we're gonna to end in a few minutes. You can stand to your feet. The disciples toiled all night long. There's another night season. Can I be honest with you? I think 2020 and even the aftermath has been one of those night seasons. How many would agree with me on that? Toiled all night. How many of you can recognize it and, and say, yes, I have been working all night. I have been late. I just feel exhausted and I don't know why. I've been laboring. Let me tell you something. Last year and the, even up until the current point is one of those I've toiled 
all night, and I'm tired, and I'm weary. Another thing that I see here is that they, were, they had their nets, and they were washing them. That means they quit. That means they were done. That means they were given up. That means they were washing their nets. They only did that. It was a long, hard process, so they only did it once, and they did it at the end of their shift. They were closing down. They were shutting down. They were not fishing anymore. They were done because they had toiled and toiled and toiled all night. But I find something very fascinating. The Bible says that Jesus came to two boats. Everybody say two boats. Jesus came to two boats. And we only know Simon Peter owned one. We don't know who owned the other one. Dude was gone. Can I tell you that sometimes when people toil all night, they just leave. They didn't even wash their nets. They just left their boat. They're just gone. And can I tell you, Jesus came looking for somebody. And he looked at that one boat, I think in my mind, and that guy was gone. And he went, you missed it. Who's next? Peter, can I use your boat? See, that man gave up before the blessing, and it could have been his name that was called upon this rock I will build my church. It could have been his name that was called the great apostle. It could have been his name, but he left. He gave up. It was too hard. It was too long. He turned away from it. But he used Peter's. Peter remained. Peter was persistent in his prayer. I see this as a type and shadow. Peter was the one that hung in there. And I love this next verse. After the teaching, Jesus the carpenter tells Peter the fisherman how to fish. Now, I don't know about you, maybe in the kitchen, maybe under the hood, but how do you respond to someone that comes to you that doesn't have a clue about your job and tries to tell you how to do it better? I should get a big amen from my wife right now. Because I go by and say, honey, you don't make that recipe was so good when you made it last week. But you know what to make it better? And she just looks at me. It'll make it better if I go in the living room and sit down and just wait till it's done. Because if I got to be honest, how many recipes have I ruined with her taking my advice and it wasn't that good? I've learned to just trust the God. So that's why I see, I think there's some, I think Jesus, because Jesus, this is what happened in case you don't know. Jesus the carpenter said, Peter, what are you doing? He said, man, we fished all night, got nothing, I'm going home. He said, no, 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 go back out in the middle of the day, which you didn't do that, and cast your net out. And I believe Peter was looking at him and saying, what are you talking about, Willis? You're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. But Lord, you don't know what they did to me. Oh, I'm preaching already. Lord, you don't know what they said about me. Lord, you don't know how I was treated. Yeah, get in line. Everybody's been treated that way. And you know what? Some people, I, I don't know. But you know what? You don't know what other people have been treated you don't know what other people have said to them. You don't know how everybody else has responded. And Jesus said, listen, if you just get over yourself and do what I tell you, you're going to not regret it. Can I tell you that one of the things that takes us out in the night is the bitterness of cynicism. The leadership, the pastors and directors, we're going through a book that Pastor Eddie has us going through in his first couple of chapters deal with cynicism. You know what I'm talking about. The been there, done that, it didn't work, so now I'm bitter. I poured into them and they betrayed me. I gave that ministry my all and they turned their back on me. I gave that spouse my everything and they turned them. So what happens is over time you begin to get hardened, of, your heart gets hardened. You don't even dream anymore because what's the use? You don't even hope anymore because what's the use? You're not even curious anymore because what's the use? Friend, you're bitter and you've got cynicism and you're blocking the move of God in your life. Because I believe if Peter was full of cynicism, then he wouldn't have went out and casted that net. But we all know the story. He went out one more time because Jesus said, cast it just one more time. And I wrote this down, and I want to say this over our church. Our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of redemption. Our God is a God of one more time. I hear the voice of the Spirit saying, throw the net out again. Get off the floor. Dust yourself off. Launch out into the deep. It's time to believe one more time. It's time to trust God one more time. It's it's time to fast one more time it's time to believe one more time it's time to hope one more time it's time to forgive and forget and move forward it's time to be an agent of healing so you can be healed it's time to be an agent of forgiveness so you can be forgiven it's time to be an agent of ministry so you can be ministered to the Lord is not slack concerning his promises he will do what he said he will do he will be who he said he will be Listen, Vision Sunday's coming up real soon. Vision Sunday's coming up. And I, I believe there's some people that have already made up their minds, I'm not going to get involved in that ministry again. I believe there's some people even here in River of Life that you've hung up your net. Maybe some of you watching online, and maybe you're, you're from a different church, but you're just watching. Maybe that's you. You know what? I quit. I don't even know what I'm doing here today. God has you here today because he's telling you to get up and do it one more time. 
God has you watching this today because he's saying, I know you tried and you failed, but you're going to get up and you're going to do it just one more time. Oh, but Lord, I did. God, no, no, no. our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of renovation. Our God is a God of remodel. Our God is a God. We came to this building, and it was not in the best of shape, if I could say it politely. But instead of coming in and going, oh, man, look at all this work. And we had some of those at our open house, and we said, we got a special room for you. It's out in the parking lot. Because we came in here with clipboards saying, I just came across this email the other day called Scope of Work for Sumter Road. And I came across that and I reminded, we came through here and we said, yeah, I know this is full of mildew, but we got guys that know how to handle that. Yeah, I know this wall needs to go, but we got guys that know how to handle that. I know we got to do this, we got girls that know how to handle that. And can I tell you that when we came together, look what God has done in this place. Your life is the same way. You might look around and see shambles. You might look around and see heartache. You might look around and see hurt. But I tell you, if you give it to God, he's going to put it back together. If you give it to God, he's going to make it better than it ever was if you give it to God he's going to give you a second chance he's going to give you a haul that's going to break your boat can I tell you church one more time it's not too late maybe you did quit maybe you did throw in the towel but listen there's a blessing coming for those that are faithful there's a blessing coming for those that are faithful there's a blessing coming for those that are faithful are you hearing me there's a blessing coming for those that are faithful and it's not too late if you've already quit jump back in the boat jump back in throw your net out one more time it is time to believe again it is time to arise again church stay persistent in prayer we've got two minutes and i'm going to be quiet we're going to lead us into a course and i want us to have some response time close your eyes bow your heads those of you at home hang with us literally two minutes The Lord has already spoken, and you need to respond, however that is right now. Maybe you're in the night, and you're struggling. Pray for God to give you strength. Maybe you've already quit, and you're like Peter. You've already put your net up. Pray for God to give you strength to get that net off the wall one more time. Whatever we're going to do, we're going to sing, and I want you to respond and go after God with whatever he puts in your heart. Yes, come on, let's sing that. So we pour out our praise. We pour. Yes, Lord. So we pour out our praise. We pour out strength to believe. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, and God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of His presence, His promises, and all people. And you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.